Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Above the Influencer. I have a small caveat to make today from my favorite, well, I won't say my favorite because I can't commit, but from one of my favorite podcasts, I have a bit of housekeeping. So last episode, I mentioned that this episode would be focusing on body positivity. And as I got to preparing for that episode and to record it, I had some thoughts about how I wanted to present it to all of you in a way that was both informative and attainable. And so I want to spend a little bit more time working on how I want to put those words together to put to all of you, to give to all of you. So instead, today we are going to have a little interview with Steph. Steph is a second year master's student in the clinical psychology program at Teachers College, which is at Columbia University. She's also the founder and project manager of Body Banter, which if you listened to the last episode, you will know is an amazing organization, group of people, blah, blah, blah. Listen to the last episode, you'll get it. Um, And she does a lot of her research in body image and eating disorders in specifically Chinese women, because that is where she is from. And she wanted to let me know that when she's not being a student, you can find her crocheting ugly scarves, just like me, dancing to Mamma Mia in her pajamas, just like me, except it's probably naked, and having the best conversations with her body banter team, aka me. And I think she said that to appease me. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Steph. Okay, welcome Steph to Above the Influencer. I am very excited to join you, Is. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for coming. It is currently 9.12 p.m. in New York City, and it is? It is 9.12 a.m., so I am currently in the future, Is. <laughs> oh my gosh. What <laughs> happens 12 hours from now? 12? Yes, 12. Yes, 12 hours. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> the sun shines. Oh yeah. Yeah. Seriously. The sun shines. Well, that's good. That's good. Thank you so much for coming. I am so excited to talk about this, but also record with you because you're just a ray of sunshine, just like in 12 hours from now. Um, so I kind of want to start with what you're going to be talking about with us today. So We've discussed this before, so to let everyone in on our dirty little secret, (laughs) Steph and I are going to talk about appearance norms specifically in China and discuss a little bit about how that compares to the U.S. and then also what that means more generally. So would you please start with a little um, explanation or some introduction to appearance norms as they exist in China? 
Yeah, thanks, Iz. So I'll try my best. It's a big topic, but I'll just say that um, generally when we think about appearance norms for women in China, it has always been something that's been really important um, just because women were expected to be very submissive and they were disregarded it a lot of times in, in the patriarchal society, the very overwhelmingly patriarchal society that they lived in in the past. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard about like foot binding and um, mm -hmm. all these kinds of oppressive practices that women were subjected to. But then previously, obviously, physical appearance traits were, um, were key to representing what a woman's status was. So in the past, perhaps larger bodies would have been um, really respected because it really showed that um, the husband could afford to pay for the, the nourishment um, of oh, the woman. yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> you have a beautiful Zaftig woman on your, on your side. On your arm. It means that you can pay for her consumption. That's exactly how that works. That's exactly right. Um, but then, you know, as China started to develop economically, and especially after um, it became kind of an open market for, you know, it opened up to the to the Western world to um, receive imports from, from there. And after the founding of the People's Republic of China in 1949, the increased economic power of women was starting to like take a kind of changed the way that women were perceived and also how women perceived themselves. And so um, I think on the one hand, you know, obviously because there were um, societal pressures for women to behave in more of a, a responsible way. So in the essence, we're like, you know, pick, your up by, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, you know, you're now a responsible, economically responsible woman. Show us that you, you know, you deserve this position. And so women were also feeling a sense of increased agency. They were like, now I can buy my own stuff to change my own body. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. this is really cool. And um, now with I this... I love that. <laughs> I, can, more, I can do more, my stuff. Oh my God, more freedom equals more freedom to change. make yourself feel bad about yourself. <laughs> love it. That's exactly how it kind of, you know, when we look back at that, it's like, how could you have bought into this? But at that time, I can imagine how, you know, that um, new permeation of consumer culture, you know, the buy everything, um, there must mm -hmm. have been, you know, this sense of like, oh, now I can really live up to these, like, I have the power to live up to these new feminine ideals. So that could have been seen as a sense of newfound power. Um, and so, totally. I mean, it, it, yeah. it makes complete, it makes complete sense that as you know china at that point is becoming more globalized i guess absolutely having more influences of western culture that if that's something to strive for strive to that you would want to take whatever agency you have now to reach for that so no like i'm sure that if we were living you know, both you and I and Cece, the dog sleeping on my lap right now, we're living in China at that point. And now we would probably be striving for the exact same thing. Yeah. And it's just interesting when we look back at these times where we're like, you know, you know, hindsight is, is so it makes things so much clearer. But then when you're living in the moment, it makes mm -hmm. things harder to, um, to judge. And I see that even now, you know, when we're talking about diet culture, Christy Harrison, one of my favorite dietitians, and um, she has a great podcast. She's wow. great, isn't she? Yes. So highly recommended if you are interested in um, learning more about it. It's um, another 
she has awesome resources. I think what she talks about is how diet culture is constantly changing and metamorphosing and becoming a different creature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I really see. And if anything can like we can learn from this, the way that China's beauty ideals have changed, it's that when you're in it, mm-hmm. like deep in, stuck in the culture, it's hard to pull yourself out and realize that you're being oppressed um, or disadvantaged. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And, and I, I mean, this is going off on a little bit of a tangent, <laughs> different from what we were supposed to talk about, but here we, but it's happening. Put a pin, put a pin in what you were saying. It makes you think about like, who is benefiting from right. this, you know? And, and that's something that actually one of my professors, uh, she didn't say who's benefiting from this. She said, she said, whose pathology is this? And I think that like, who created this? Who is this for? And I think it's so important to think about that because who is that benefiting? Like diet culture is obviously benefiting someone and it keeps morphing. It keeps changing Mm. to continue oppressing in some way or another. So who's, you know, we're not benefiting off of it, but who is? It's probably like a cisgender white man, but (laughs) every episode. That's yeah. That's not a tangent at all because I, it actually relates to something that I, I wanted to touch on. And we talked about this before, um, before we started recording and it was really just that, um, you know, appearance standards are a way of, you know, starting when, when a society becomes more affluent, um, and things are starting Mm -hmm. to become better for, um, everyone in the society, there will be ways to teach people to internalize things and beliefs that, um, like kind of regulate the oppression like as in to teach people how to oppress themselves so to speak and um a lot of feminist theories have talked about this as you probably know like um especially Mm -hmm. talking about how um women start to start to see this pursuit of beauty as something that as as we were talking about you know like a sense of agency they're like i get to do this now Mm -hmm. i get to um Mm -hmm. buy my own you know, creams and pills and, <laughs> and purchase all of these expensive treatments mm-hmm. to like change my body. Yeah. And, and I'm like hyper aware to not make it seem to not have anyone listening to this think that I feel as though I am above that in any way, shape mm-hmm. or form. Cause I definitely don't. I don't know if you can hear Cece. She's like, sounds like she's having extreme sleep. Apnea <laughs> right now. She's just like <laughs> snoring excessively, but like, there's a reason why we are all socialized to believe this and think this way and you know I don't want to say falling victim but being a part of that oppressive culture does not mean that you've failed in some way it's that the culture failed you that's right such a good point and as you were touching on you know it's not like oh pointing fingers like this is your fault that you are (laughs) being oppressed Mm -hmm. it's more I think if anything if you get anything from this episode it is to think about how you can be more aware of these forces and um that you know Mm -hmm. you can work towards a a better understanding of like the ways and like you know even just noticing how you're being affected on a day-to-day basis that makes a world of difference um yeah completely just question, like questioning, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I feel like I'm supposed to? I feel like it'll make me more worthy. I feel like this is what I've been told that I need to do. Or are you doing this because this is actually something that you truly believe in? Or because you feel like you'll feel better? Or, you know, even that's problematic because, like, why are you going to feel better? <laughs> but another tangent, another episode to talk about. 
but yeah, Anna, you're, you're totally right. Just questioning where the, the drives come from of decisions that you're making. For sure. And if I may add one more little thing, which is that, um, when I've heard some kind of, um, not backlashes, but kind of counter arguments towards the idea of like, oh, um, it really doesn't have an effect on us. Like, you know, this, these kinds of norms don't truly have an effect. And um, when I talk to some of my, um, like, you know, older relatives, like female relatives who have been, you know, living in this environment for longer than I have, they, they were saying that, Mm -hmm. you know, people really, especially in our culture, like people really do link um, appearance to a lot of very significant life outcomes. Like when I was writing my thesis, women were telling me that um, they were scared that they couldn't get married. They were scared that their parents would stop loving them if they failed to lose weight. Um, You know, they were like, um, there's this Chinese fable which talks about how if you don't finish your bowl of rice, um, or, you know, if you, this is another, like Chinese food culture is very interesting in that it's conflicting in many ways, Mm. but um, this is not so much like a weight loss thing, but you know, it's about food. Um, Mm. and if you don't finish Mm. your bowl of rice and you leave morsels of rice in your rice bowl, you will marry a man who has pimples all over his face. And that's how the fable goes, which is, I mean, in that sense, it, you know what I mean? It links appearance and food in very intricate ways. And that's so conflicting also because like, (laughs) the idea well I mean this it's a similar thing in the U.S. where it's like you have to finish your plate of food or else you won't get dessert and it's like okay so you're gonna tell me that I need to finish everything right now that I have on my plate before you'll feed me more and once I finish that I've somehow done something good and so you're gonna you're gonna um what's the word reward me with a dessert also creating a reward from something you're just making that completely unattainable completely like oh, <laughs> god's gift um and then in the same breath have someone tell me or tell anyone yeah. you're 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 you've gained too much weight like you're not ne- you're never gonna you know are you sure you don't want to lose weight you sure you don't want to blah, blah, blah. and it's like tell me what you want <laughs> <laughs> just make up your exactly. mouth Exactly, exactly. Exactly. But this, put a pin in that for another episode. We're talking about you. We're talking about Chinese culture specifically, because I want to know more about, like, what does media exposure look like there? I think something that's really interesting, or, you know, something that I would say I'm very annoyed about in terms Mm. of the media in, um, that I view when I switch on the TV at let's say 8 p.m. is that mm-hmm. there is so little diversity. That is a very late. That is a very <laughs> late TV time. Um, it's because that's the about the time where you know we're winding down around after dinner or like mm-hmm. during dinner, and we're just we have some kind of background noise, and mm-hmm. that's also the time when a lot of the good TV shows come on. Um, <laughs> okay, so we're not know. talking Netflix, no on demand, yeah, no on demand there. So, um, and I think that first thing that I notice when I switch on the TV is that there's so little diversity in the kinds of Mm -hmm. bodies that are shown. So you'll, even if it's not explicitly commenting on someone's body, so it's not like, let's attain this um, unreasonable and unattainable ideal of a very thin Mm -hmm. body, they will show 
always someone who is in a relatively smaller body. And whenever they show a, a person who is in a relatively larger body, it's always in a certain context, like let's say a cooking context, or the person is a relatively older woman, um, mm-hmm. or someone who is incompetent. Yeah, as I'm sure this also happens in Western media, but I would say it's a lot more nuanced um, in Asian media because everything is intricately linked. There is, I don't think I've ever seen um, I would say a positive connotation or, you know, positive connotation linked to a person in a larger body, not in the context mm-hmm. that I mentioned above. Um, then there are the wildly, um, <laughs> the wildly inappropriate portrayals of body image, which is when um, there are, I saw an ad the other day, which irked me to the core. <laughs> Let me just I'm tell scared. you. Scared. I'm scared. <laughs> it's a nightmare. So be scared. <laughs> Um, essentially there, there was, it was a diet ad. Um, it was playing at, at 8 PM primetime TV, lots of kids mm-hmm. watching, um, which was another, um, another fact that irked me. There was like the first part of the ad was this person who was exercising and they mm-hmm. were like, why would you be as stupid as this prior person and exercise? All you got to do is take my pill and you will attain this magic. You will KO, like you'll knock out the fat in you. And I was literally like, firstly, you know, okay, I understand <laughs> that you're trying to um, provide a quick fix or but what are you saying about, you know, movement and its benefits for like mental health. And I, there were just lots of things packed in that that I was very confused about. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I could have probably an entire other podcast on ads that are so fucking annoying and so fucked up that one though is beyond you i mean it's just like it's making the assumption that all movement is for weight loss which unfortunately in our society it tends to be it's really scary to think about that and i honestly think that um the reason why it's problematic is because a lot of the research shows that um, when women, who, like especially the research on Chinese women, shows mm-hmm. that um, exposure to media of individuals who look like them is much more impactful mm-hmm. than media exposure to, you know, people who like Western women who don't look so much like them. And the just like the body proportions are less, you know, even if you yeah. <laughs> did a lot of plastic surgery, you wouldn't be able to attain that ideal. Whereas if you see an Asian woman who kind of looks like you You know even if the person's body is smaller there is this kind of mm-hmm. affinity the person on tv they speak the same language they um they have the same hair color you know all these kinds of other um traits that you can really see yourself attaining and when you put an ad like that at primetime tv people are likely eating dinner there might be younger kids who are starting to grow into their bodies and um this really um it really annoys me particularly for kids who are growing girls who are growing into their bodies and their bodies are undergoing so much change at that point and they really don't know how where they're going to land you know how their bodies are going to transform in the next couple of years and so these ads really are very hurtful because they're saying that if you grow past this or if you don't look like this when you reach you know your ultimate you know final point of growth you know after puberty and stuff (laughs) um you are done you are essentially Mm -hmm. a damaged item yeah and that is yeah helpful. I don't want to be reductive in saying this so I'm trying to think of of if this is like pertinent to say but like I'm thinking about seeing plus size or non-thin 
women on, in TV and in media and stuff like that in the U.S. And when I started, when I first started my like journey into finding, you know, body diverse influencers and blah, 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 I started where everyone else starts, right? Like I started with like Ashley Graham and Hunter McGrady and the models, the plus size models. So when I see those bodies that are more similar to mine than the Gigi Hadid's or even like Kardashians, like, you know, there's, there. it's like, that's a, a new form of thinness. And it does have, I think, more of an impact on me to see them looking a certain way or behaving a certain way to look a certain way. Because it makes me think like, I never in a million years would look like Gigi Hadid, but maybe I could look like mm-hmm. Ashley Graham. So maybe I should change my behaviors so I should look more like her in the most like reductive way possible it makes sense to me that that would be the case that's an, a perfect and a very good comparison because I think um what what the research is really suggesting like whether or not it's culturally specific it's that when we see someone who is more relatable to us we're more likely to want to like emulate them and I think mm-hmm. that's really quite it's an interest. It's it feels like it's something that we should we should know, or it's kind of like common sense. But then I feel like it's really important when we consider how the media is fed to us, right? Because I think yeah. when we watch, even when we watch, you know, primetime TV, that doesn't is not explicitly an ad. Um, when we watch, um, you know, the the really charismatic main character who is inevitably going to be in a smaller body, we're always going to be like, oh, so. If I wanted to be like her, I have to, you know, even subconsciously aim towards the way that she looks or um, the way that she behaves. And there will be here and there, there'll be things like, oh, yeah, I'm on diet, you know, like, it'll be mm. built into the script yeah. of primetime TV. not even TV. a question. It's like, it's right. not even this also, I mean, this is probably another tangent, but this really makes me think of Adele, which... Mm. We, is this like, is how we connected. I, I know, right? It's kismet that Adele would come up. For those who don't know, uh, I reached out to Steph after reading an article that she wrote for Body Banter on the one and only Adele, if that wasn't clear. And it really makes me think of her because, yes, we should be letting her live her life and not placing our own judgments as to weight loss, weight gain, body size, whatever on her. Mm-hmm. However, seeing someone who is in a stereotypically, I don't want to say unattractive, but I'm going to say unattractive because in our society, like she is seen as someone who like breaks the odds for being so successful and still being not real thin. And then mm-hmm. you see this person who potentially you connected with, I connected with, on more levels than just her body size but on her body size and seeing that that stuff hits home like nobody's business you know what I mean so in television that in Chinese or Asian specifically are are the shows that you're watching at 8 p.m like what are what are those shows they're typically so (laughs) there are a sequence of shows that come at the 8 p.m. slot. So 8 to okay. 9 or 8 to 8.30 is like this kind of family comedy show. And okay. that's, I would say, sometimes it's problematic um, in the sense that it might 
uh, just the other day, there was like a, um, a portrayal of someone who had um, a, a, like essentially borderline personality disorder. And mm-hmm. um, it was just problematic because they did, they kind of used certain symptoms to show, you know, that you can control parts of, you know, control parts of their personality. And so um, this is yeah. how they might behave if you, you know, plug in some kind of trigger and they sometimes they act on the trigger, something like that. So there were um, problematic portrayals in some, um, some episodes, but not all. So sometimes it's just a lighthearted show that we watch and it's a comedy and it's, you know, a kind of like background noise that is mm-hmm. enjoyable to a certain extent. And then after that, it's, ma- it's mainly like action shows. And then there are lots of ads, as we talked about, that are interspersed between mm-hmm. that. So I would say, um, and just a couple of weeks ago, Miss Hong Kong, um, the Miss Hong Kong pageant was going on. Mm-hmm. And that has its problematic aspects. And we can talk about that in another episode because there are too many things to cover there. Uh, but that's typically what happens in the 8 to 10 p.m. Gotcha. And I and I'm curious. I've said I'm curious so many times, so I have to think of something else to say next time. But when these shows come up, so like let's say that ad came up a few nights ago and you're sitting there and you're who are you watching? Who are you watching this with? I usually watch with my parents. So um I would say it's not so much a problem for them, but I remember it being a very I would say it it moved my um disorder forward when I was watching it when I was younger because I could mm-hmm. I could I, I saw it every night and you know yeah. even if I might have you know disregarded it a couple of nights I would start mm-hmm. to think about it truly think about it if it it's infiltrated like it infiltrates into your mind as you I watch mean, it how could you not we're sponges at, right. you know when we're younger we're sponges now like right. how could you not if you're seeing this thing nightly and I mean, no offense isn't the right word, but like, (laughs) this means nothing to your parents. But like, if no one's fighting against that to you, with you, it's, it, how could you not absorb it and believe it and want to attain these things that they're telling you that you should attain? I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'd love to know. Oh my God, I'm, this whole thing's just going up. No editing whatsoever. The whole thing. Um, I'd love to know when this happens now. Do you bring it up with your parents? Like, do you talk about it with them at all, or do you just like? Don't get me wrong. Like, I listen and I watch and I whatever with my parents, and I just store it in a place to talk about with my my with my dietitian and my therapist later. But I'm curious as to like if. If you've spoken to them about it, I would say there are no filters in our household now, mainly because my parents know exactly what I went through and they understand. And I have communicated this like there were some clashes in the beginning. I would say there were some misunderstandings and things like, you know, stop being so sensitive. There's it's just an ad that's three seconds long or five seconds long or whatever, whatever, like those kinds of comments. But then as the time progressed and I had these very, I would, I, I loved those conversations. They were hard conversations because I had to be like, I need this space to communicate. It's less about me being sensitive. It's more about me needing a sounding board for healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and totally. so that's, yeah. So my, my parents as people who, who respect and love me were able to take that. And instead of thinking of it like, oh, she's being, you know, they were able to reframe that and, and there are still many conversations to be had, 
but at least there is that, you know, disclaimer, which is like, I'm not here to be critical necessarily. It's just me needing someone to hear my thoughts and conversations yeah. need to happen. So yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, I think that's so amazing. And I think that it's special that your parents are so open and willing to like be a part of that with you. So kudos to them. Kudos to you. (laughs) Love that. Love that for you. I'm curious as to how do you think either parents or consumers of this television where you know we're we spent a lot of time on television but it makes sense that that is kind of the space in your nuclear family like I remember watching you know Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune with my family from seven to eight that's a huge part of your understanding of society and understanding of culture is watching it through the small screen or large screen depending on what size tv you have (laughs) I think you know, there are many, many things that <laughs> I wish could be done in every household, you know, like, I just think if I could impart one thing that that is most important thing that has helped me look at media in a more self aware way is that mm-hmm. there needs there needs to be a certain degree of openness to conversation in the household. And I know that this is a sometimes it's a difficult demand in the sense that I'm lucky to have parents who are very open to having these Mm -hmm. discussions. And I think that is um, in part because of the experiences that we've all collectively had when I experienced, um, you know, when I went through an eating disorder and there was a lot of stigma and silencing and that never helped our relationship. So they were aware of that and they saw that Mm -hmm. and then they decided that because they loved me, they were able to, um, and they were always more open as um, a little bit more on the kind of the the westernized like parenting side where they were like, let's have more Mm. conversations. So, um, and my mom read a lot of like, you know, this how to parent books. And so I guess she had a lot of that background as well. So I can't say that it's the easiest thing to say to Chinese parents, like have these conversations, like open up. It's not as simple mm. as that. I think what's important is that um, there needs to be a willingness to start. Perhaps even if you, if the parents don't have a lot of input in the beginning, um, there should there should be a, a space for the young person to be able to voice their opinions, mm. um, even with just a blank slate, like the parent not giving much feedback. The fact that um, someone is willing to listen and to hear you and to maybe even agree to disagree is a very mm-hmm. powerful thing, um, I think. Yeah. And and just to have have conversations surrounding what you see. And no one, not everyone has to agree. In fact, some of the best conversations are ones where people don't agree with each other. So that was a lot, but <laughs> I think openness. No, to no, I I love that, and I think that you know we're talking specifically about where you are right now in China. I think that that is true for literally wherever you are. You any, I mean, not even just wherever you are, but what culture you come from. And you know, my dad is is French, and English is his second language. Is that? totally so different from American culture? No, not really. But I know that there are things that he has a different view on because of his background, even having lived here for longer than he lived ever in France. And it is so important to have the mutual respect for each Mm -hmm. other's views on things, even if it's going to irk you to the absolute core. 
just being able to have those conversations openly and continually, like continuously is, is so, is so important because otherwise you're stuck. You're stuck with your thoughts. They're stuck with their thoughts and no one's communicating what's actually going on. I think that you're totally right that parents don't need to put their own views on children, but just, or, or siblings or whatever, like you don't have to put your own views on others, but just creating a space where others know that you're going to be open to whatever they have to say. Open and respectful conversation is the only way to enact change. So we talked about how in Chinese culture, thinness is what we're striving for, right? Right. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Um, I'm curious as to whether you have noticed, so the media that you're receiving there, excuse me, versus the media that you got when you were in the US. Like, so we're both trying to achieve thinness, thinness on a different body per chance, but thinness generally Mm. do you think that there is a difference between maybe the type of body ideals or the ways that people are supposed to be attaining that between the two cultures or or is that somewhat universal yes for sure I I would say this is definitely (laughs) like a more of an observe an observatory comment which is that Mm -hmm. I think there's a strong emphasis in um in Chinese culture on kind of specific body parts and like sculpting like I I know that this is a universal thing too but then I think Mm -hmm. more so that certain types of features are linked to Mm -hmm. moral outcomes or kind of life success so for example um you know the shape of your eyes um you know Mm. I'm sure you've heard of like double eyelid surgery you know the, the kind of the the not the length of your nose, that's not the right word, but you know, the height of your nose, like the bridge of your nose and how high it is, it's like represents like moral character. Things like, you know, the whiteness of your skin, you know, I'm sure you've heard of like skin whitening and also things like, you know, the hairiness of your limbs, um, yeah. which also exists in different cultures, I'm sure. The, the best example that I can think of that really portrays this um, emphasis on features and specificities of body body parts is that when you look at the ads that are shown on um like the subway which is what's called the mtr station in hong mm-hmm. kong it is that you will see disembodied limbs that are just massive they're so big you will walk past a maybe like a 12 foot leg or something you know and you'll see just as all <laughs> you know, legs this, are and mass you know just a massive leg and it's photoshopped to the highest degree and people are fine with that you know it's mm-hmm. like that's almost a given because um people really respect this kind of like oh yeah like even if perhaps i can't uh, attain a, a leg you know at least not a 12 foot tall leg um <laughs> I it might look a bit like that, you know. It's yeah, maybe <laughs> it's an ideal, <laughs> a blown up ideal. It's, actually, it's yes. funny because would I prefer that obvious Photoshop, obvious like explosion of something in your face, like this is the perfect, this is exactly what you want. But remember, you have to scale it down to you because you can't have a twelve foot leg. Absolutely. Would I prefer that? <laughs> to what's in the US or what I see often, which is somehow under the guise of being a true leg that's 
you know, however long legs are on a normal body. I don't know what, like three feet, like a three foot leg and, and only Photoshop just so much so that you can't tell that it's Photoshop because once you start telling, then you know it's not real anymore. And, you know, maybe this is a grass is always greener sort of situation in which I'm thinking this, that I'd prefer seeing, you know, a Barbie leg on a billboard to, you know, a Photoshopped model leg but it, these are just some some thoughts that I'm brewing right now they each have their um their problems and I think yeah. definitely it's just and again it's going back to that sense of awareness right it's like how mm-hmm. does this particular media form impact me um and yeah. my life and I think there's no yeah. like oh, this is you know <laughs> and who's to say like if I if you came to Hong Kong and you saw mm-hmm. that and you and you lived in this in this space for a while you, you might have like a different kind of view of totally. what this what this leg meant to you or I don't know like I would say that when I went after I went to the US and I then I came back and I you know had all of my education in um in psychology and just understood <laughs> more mm-hmm. about the media and its its, its effects on body image yeah. I definitely came back and was much more critical of the way that they portrayed these legs and <laughs> and things so I was like mm. oh that's so easy to see through you know so I oh, would interesting. say so you don't think yeah. people know that that's you know that it's like hyper photoshopped and completely unattainable for a specific reason but you don't know that everyone else knows that I would say that perhaps people might subconsciously know it but it's mm. not the first thing that they think of so the first thing that I think may think of would be like oh maybe I could try that even if they they know that it's photoshopped. Whereas the first thing that comes okay. to my mind, because my mind is technically, you know, I would say kind of trained to think in a certain critical way. Mm-hmm. And I come back and the first thing that I think of is not, oh, maybe I could try that. It's it's literally like, that's so photoshopped. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. It's so true. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think of it as sort of like a sixth sense where it's yeah. like, you see things that maybe other people don't see as much does you know does it sometimes bite you in the ass yeah of course it would be nice you know wouldn't it be nice to hop on the subway and just be like oh an ad not I should do that or wow this is so Mm -hmm. photoshopped and instead just being like a thing (laughs) bye bye (laughs) like glad I got where I gotta go you know but (laughs) another story for another day another therapy appointment thank you so much for coming to chat with me today and I'm sure that we will have many conversations to come whether recorded or not absolutely I'm always happy to speak to you Iz and thanks for having me on your podcast it's it's going in really great direction so I'm so excited for it thanks for having these conversations I paid her to say that everyone I paid her (laughs) paid me in love (laughs) yes yes okay okay thanks Iz thank you you don't make you hungry, baby. Starving, baby. Yeah, do I? So we've reached that exciting part of the episode again. It's food for your feed. The first account that I want to recommend is at Food and Fearless. This is an account managed by registered dietitian Taylor Chan, and I love her account because I think that food freedom means becoming educated and becoming an empowered consumer by learning about nutrition so that you can debunk diet culture, not use it, um, you know, nutrition as a way to um, beat yourself up or to criticize yourself. 
So Taylor's doodles are really empowering and, and they're educational and fun. And they really made the early days of my recovery manageable and enjoyable. Um, this was a time when I was grappling to find reliable and engaging information. And her feed really provided me with that. A second account that I wanted to recommend um, is at the nourished underscore co. And this account is managed by my friend Sarah. She's a functional nutritionist, and she talks a lot about how to balance an active lifestyle with adequate nutrition. She also incorporates lots of personal anecdotes, which really make her words hit close to home. And I just think that it's so important, as I said at the beginning, to be an educated consumer of um, the information that you're getting from the media so you can really rise above the influence. I hope you check those two accounts out and that you enjoy scrolling through. Next time on Above the Influencer. Thank you so much again for tuning into this episode. Next time on Above the Influencer, and I will hold true to it this time, we will be discussing media and its intersection with fitness. So we're talking a little bit of fitspo. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I can't wait for you to listen next time to Above the Influencer. Mm-hmm.